Um, do you see civil rights lawyers as really representing causes and rights or more people? And how do you draw the line between it's you know, what question. the community may want and what a successful litigation strategy may be? It's a great question, Gia. And I think it plays out like in both contexts and circumstances. At the end of the day, most of our cases are brought on behalf of individuals, clients, real people. I, I know you worked in a public defender's office, right, in DC. And so sometimes you have a, a client who wants to be in the driver's seat. They may not be fully cognizant of their facts or their circumstances, but you've got to let them drive the train. And I think the lawyers who fly in from New York or Washington and think they know the communities better than the community leaders themselves really do the communities and the law a disservice. And one of the reasons why the ACLU, we have 900 employees nationwide. We have a staff and office in every state. Now, a lot of other groups are only in Washington or in New York. And they fly in and they parachute in and they represent a client and they fly back after their motions or hearings are done. And part of our philosophy and our mantra is the bulk of our staff are in the states because that's where you get to know the real issues. And that's where they get to tell you, you're screwing this one up or you need to listen to the population or you got to know the PTA president before you file a school case. And I think that's one of the key pieces of, of thinking of yourself not as the champion of liberty, I think that was my award, I think we have to change it, but as the, guardian. you know, no, the guardian, as, as really the servant of liberty. Your turn. Um, thank you both again. Um, my question is about, we, in the discussion of where rights come from, they come from the Quran, they come from the Constitution, they come from Catholic school. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, I know, in law schools and, you know, in the legal community about, uh, in the U.S., the application of different foreign laws and codes in U.S. courts. And I just kind of wanted your thoughts yeah. about, you know, is that something that's likely to happen soon? I mean, we've had Supreme Court justices say it's looking out in a crowd and picking out your friends right. and how that kind of changes the focus of the ACLU and yeah. the way y'all attack things. Thank you. It's a great, go ahead. Uh, do you want to jump in, Chris, or do you want to? I'll no, jump in. I think in. it's a great okay. question. So, Steve, um, for me, I think as lawyers and advocates, you have to pick whatever arsenal you've got. And if there's a body of thought that can illuminate an idea, or if a different court has struggled with it well, then why would we be so parochial as to not take that into account? Um, now, I don't want to take into account laws that are more prohibitive or more restrictive. I don't want the gender laws you have in Saudi Arabia. I'd go apeshit. Uh, but do I want the laws that protect um, gay and lesbian people in South Africa that we don't have in the US. And I think part of what I find so ironic is the very same group of people who will often talk about the, the, the fact that we're not, we, we shouldn't be using a global framework of laws and rights are some of the same people who champion it in commerce and in the economy. I mean, we had, what, GATT, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs. Mm -hmm. We had no trouble with that. Look at all the battles we have over foreign exports and imports. Look at what we're doing in the, in the environment. We're, having the, we're actually having a debate about greenhouse gases. Why can we not have a global conversation about the right to live with dignity if we can have a global conversation about tariffs and, and trade? Well, we're party to those, uh, those trade agreements, though. That's part, you know, the Constitution of the United States and all the treaties thereof is part of our law. Yeah. That's different. Let me, let me ask you about one question, and then sure. you. I'm fascinated with what your view is, because I don't know what it is. Suppose that, that Spanish uh, prosecutor, who's very active right now. Mr. Garcon. It comes after one of our biggies. We're working with him to do it. 
I mean, well, I'm what, what do you think should be the uh, standing of a court uh, in Spain? They had uh, apparently two people who were, who were victims of our rendition of our, program. Of our rendition There's legal program. standing. So it's not like they the just it's not like they're generally opposed to genocide or something. They have a particular standing because of particular cases and victimhoods. Um, do you think that? I know we've had something like the Connolly Reservation years sure, ago. We cannot sure. have a foreign government invade our, our legal system. What do you think about them coming out and physically grabbing a guy like well, Cheney? How would they do it? Not How would you like grabbing. to see it operate? When he flies into Madrid Airport, they okay, slap a group of Okay, suppose he flies to London. It's the European Union. It's a, they, unfortunately, they're going to have to stick to their... Uh, their Little little towns and uh, farmers. Well, like Mark branch. Rich wanted his pardon so that he could travel within Europe because he didn't want Interpol grabbing him or something. The, the difficulty is this: Look, if America had the political will to actually investigate and then prosecute those at the highest levels of government who were responsible for the torture and abuse, then it would not be the purview or the prerogative of any foreign country to do so. But when a country like ours is shirking that responsibility. There is a moral authority that rests among the nations of the world. That was the lesson of World War II, to prosecute crimes against Okay, humanity. what do you think he would be, that you would be satisfied that they met the standing to, 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 to try him even in absentia? I want to know who knew what when. About the torture? Yes. Okay, he keeps not about flying the, around not about, the, saying, not about the case made for the war with Iraq. No. No, I mean, you I... You don't I, see that a legal issue. That's my, a legal issue. That's less of a legal okay. issue, more of a political uh, issue. Okay, let me, next question, sir. Yeah. Um... Where, where do you come out, both of you, actually be interested to hear both of your responses, but where do you come out on the balance between money as speech and basically legalized graft in the form of lobbying? I mean, wh how do you balance those two? It seems like we, we don't have it quite right. I don't know how you, I don't know how you draw a line. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you stop uh, people. Washington, if you've, have you been in Washington very often? We have David, whole, yeah, car David well, you know, too. we have whole corridors of buildings, uh, uh, not just K Street, G Street, F Street, uh, <laughs> all toward the Capitol now, beautiful buildings, office buildings all housing different kinds of lobbying operations. Law firms, which are do what they call legislative business. Right. Uh, public relations firms, who are basically lobbying firms. Uh, communication consultants, uh, crisis managers, issues managers, all those people. Uh, I mean, the, the ratio of people who are paid six figures or more to uh, lobby 535 members of Congress is overwhelming. Each member of Congress could get up every morning and spend a minute with each one of the lobbyists and be busy all day, practically. So, uh, and it's totally legal under our Constitution. Yeah. It's the right to petition government. I don't, is it? Uh, I, well, is it? Well how, well, how would you limit it legally? It how would you find a way to limit In it? In my so, mind, also. In my mind, this is legal. where I agree with Chris. It's, well, I'm just saying and it's, it's, it's a constitutional break. identity. I don't know how they get around it. Because if you, if you say, obviously you can't uh, bribe, and we're watching that in some cases. But to prove a bribe is very hard. You have to prove a quid pro quo on the record with either a first-hand witness or a tape recording. We've seen it in a lot of cases. And it's very hard to prove. And politicians know how to have a conversation without having that occur. Okay? You know what I mean? And lobbies know how to have that conversation without having it occur. But it doesn't really happen. I, I will go along with what Sam said uh, 20, 30 minutes ago. I'm, the number of political figures in Washington who live in English basements with maybe a couple roommates and live a very credible, regular lives, meaning like they come home around 1130 at night and watch Leno or whoever's on. Uh, Leno's not on anymore. Uh, they would watch a tell They'd call their spouse, Letterman, they'd call their spouse. They'd, they'd, they'd go to bed with homework. 
Uh, they may have a, 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 a takeout on the way home. They may go out to Italian or Chinese with their colleagues. They live a very regular life. They are not rich people. There are a few people who have sort of bought their seats, if you will, and that's totally legal under Buckley Vallejo. You're allowed to buy a Senate seat. Sure. That's a, if you want to get into corruption, it's legal to buy a Senate seat. You can spend all the money you want, and uh, it's legal. You can't do it for somebody else. Look, I think but, for but me, I think for, I, this get back your point. I think that first of all, I think politicians. There's so many great people who have busted their ass to do a good job, despite what Stanley thinks. Henry Waxman, people like that. I mean, they're just really good. I think, I think really the most good. important thing. I disagree with Medicare because maybe that that's gotten completely out of hand. But there are people like Eddie Markey, who's a close friend of ours. These guys make no real money. They, they're completely clean. They fight the big shots day after day after day in the industry who would love to buy them. And they do occasionally talk about people being tanked in subcommittee where they sense somebody's been bought by an interest group. You know, it does go on. Somebody back home says we need 50 jobs or 100 jobs, and they, oh, i got to give it to them, and this guy's been my friend for 30 years. I've heard but these I, But I do think But I don't point. think that kind of thing you're talking about is, uh, is stoppable. I, but I think the point you're raising about the political system being fundamentally broken and that money corrupting it is still an issue. I mean, you look well, at how much legal. it costs. It is legal. And, I'm not, and, I don't, and I oppose the campaign finance laws. I, this is where I break also with the liberals. I think the liberals... Do you like Buckley Vallejo? Uh, I think the, the expenditure limits was a mistake. And I think no, the but you like the idea that a wealthy person can self-finance a campaign yes. through the limits? Yes. Okay, so you're That's, totally for free speech. I'm totally freedom. for free speech. Okay. And, and the, you're with, the, you're, you're but the difference Will. is when you have... A, I would like to have a system of public financing so that when you actually have candidates who can show the promise and the ability and the political support that then the government gets behind them and supports How do you know who to give the money to? You can do percentages. Of, of, if you, have, you can sign by petition. Look at the petition process in California. You get all these people, some of them uh, driven, some of them not driven uh, by money. You can, you can and then once you qualify, you get to run a bona fide campaign. Okay, but you can get petitions signed by money. Sure. You, get hire you can also get students and friends. And uh, the bottle bill, okay. I've been through all these things. One of the bottlers, the bottlers to handle it, they can, they can organize it. Who's got, got a Kathleen question? Matthews. I've got the mic. There Kathleen we go. Matthews has the um, <clears throat> When we come back later this summer in the United States, um, we're going to be looking at the uh, Supreme Court hearings and uh, Sotomayor. A lot of conversation, most of the reporting so far about the um, comment she made about as a Hispanic woman uh, that she sort of would bring that prism to the kind of decisions that she would look at, at on the court. What is your view about that? And can you address it from your own personal perspective as a gay man, head of the ACLU, and to what extent that plus your Catholic upbringing and that sort of lens that you bring affects how you view the kind of issues you've been talking about today? I, I find the whole debate about that comment to be rather offensive, actually. Um, I think we all understand that we are the creatures of our experience and backgrounds. And to think otherwise is just really to, to fool ourselves. Um, and I think even Justice Alito, when he got on the court, he made a very similar comment, saying that as someone who came from Italian immigrant parents, that he would bring that perspective onto the court. That's what each of us is. I think one of the things that we often make a mistake, especially when we talk about the very creme de la creme, the most intelligent, the most qualified, the Rhodes Scholars from Tennessee, right, is that you can think about only the, the intellectual intelligence. 
and you can forget the human intelligence. You know, you know it's a great example of that is the 54, uh, I'm not an attorney, but we're all constitutional law fanatics. We love it in our country to talk about it uh, because it's our country. What we're talking about is our country, really. And uh, about they went to black kids back in, um, in 54 in preparation for the Brown case. And they went to these school kids, and they showed them black and white dolls. And they found that among African-American kids that they thought the prettier dolls were the white kids. They had been acculturated with this notion through society. Therefore, if you separate kids, by definition, you're separating the good from the bad or the better from the, 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 the less the less better. So, I mean, I thought that was a great example of empathy. And th they were using an almost a scientific test to try to find what empathy would, should be. In other words, what is the method, what is the message to a five-year-old to be told, you're going to be going to an all-black school? And you know what? So, Sotomayor, when she gets on the court, is going to make a difference. Because look at this most recent case with Justice Ginsburg, right? This was our ACLU case. A 13-year-old girl broke up a friendship with another 13-year-old girl. So the other 13-year-old girl snitched on her former friend and told the school that she was crotching ibuprofen, right? Which is, I never heard she that before. She said crotching? Crotching well, ibuprofen. That was more of a so they probable cause than I knew. <laughs> so she was carrying contraband, allegedly, in her undergarments, it was, it was, right? Uh, and then the school officials strip-searched this girl. They made her remove her bra, and no, push they aside. Actually, they, they, they asked her to pull it okay, it's, pull out. Okay, I'm going to sound like such Remove a, it out. Okay. Did she get to expose her breasts? I just studied the case. Okay. And they, I, I was in the, I, it was a tough client. I'm with you. you. No, I'm I, with you on the case. I know, but I'm with him on the case. But let's not b stack the deck any more than it is already stacked, okay? It's, it's hard to do. Uh, no, you did. They had to move you did. You the, move the, her uh, panties to show that she was not carrying ibuprofen. I went to the Supreme Court that case when our lawyer stood up and argued that case, right? I had Savannah Redding, the, the girl sitting next to me with her mother. I thought we were going to lose that case. I'm a pretty good gambler. I can count the numbers. You know, I was all eyes on Kennedy. We didn't even have Breyer. Breyer made a complete fool of himself in the Supreme Court where he said, oh, what's the big deal? People used to stick stuff in my underwear all the time when I was in school. And then he said, oh, not my underwear, right? And it was all the guys. Oh, we have to get undressed for sports. Well, we, uh, what's the big deal about being naked? All the guys were up there. You could watch Justice Ginsburg almost begin to tremble, right? She did the most remarkable thing. Sam will know this much better because I'm not a, stu a student of the history the way that I'd like to be if, if I had Sam's history. So, Justice Ginsburg commented in a public interview, where was it, USA Today? On a pending Supreme Court case where she thought, the guys didn't get it. That is, oh my God, that is not done, right? And she got eight people to vote with her. And her experience as a woman, only Clarence Thomas voted against her, right? Her experience as a woman, I'm sure, changed that case. So your life experiences, no matter where you come from, will change the way you do your work. Don't leave it behind. Yeah. Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't, be, don't pack it in a suitcase. Pull it out. Use that human intelligence and that experience.